Amen. Thank you so much, Leslie, for leading us on that wonderful song. And good morning, everybody. And I want to welcome everybody uh, who's here in the room and those who are attending virtually. Um, as Christina said, we're excited and grateful for yet again another day, uh, a new week, and a new month. And, um, you know, this, this week actually um, had to be replanned in some ways, where we, the speaker that we originally had, that we actually were going to be flying in, there was a disruption or uh, uh, miscommunication in the contract, and uh, Scott Jathani, who um, we've had here about on an annual basis, and uh, he won't be here uh, this week, but we're planning, rescheduling him for uh, the winter, so shortly after the, the first of the year. Um, but I'm really excited and grateful for how things have come together and for what we do have planned for today and for this week. And let me just give you a brief overview. Um, you know, really, we've been talking about just, uh, it'd probably be a severe understatement to say that this year has been difficult, that this fall has been difficult. And it's been uh, a lot of different layers of oppositions, layers of crisis that have really been kind of stacked on top of each other that where you have, on one hand, a really... Uh, a global health pandemic with the coronavirus. Um, and then really last, last May, um, uh, really a cultural pandemic with different uh, racial unrest and, and injustices uh, that, that have continued to expound um, that are, were already happening um, in our nation and throughout our world, but bringing that to uh, a sense of uh, awareness perhaps that maybe we haven't had before. But then on top of all that, I've been saying that we're also, in a sense, kind of in a political pandemic or epidemic, even that this is a, an election season. And now, tomorrow with the elections, this election's week, there's definitely, and no doubt, been an increase of anxiety. There's been a toll on our mental health. And uh, I'm really excited that today, um, we're actually going to have a conversation that's hosted between student government and our counseling services. And so I want, I want to invite them to come up uh, at this time. So we have uh, Kendall Lumen, who is one of our student senators, um, is going to be uh, interviewing uh, Joe Biancardi, our director of counseling services, and Alita Wickland, uh, one of our counselors in counseling services, to talk about the elections and mental health. And uh, before they get going and before I pray for them, um, just uh, what's coming uh, ahead for the rest of the week on Tuesday, tomorrow, um, we always have our prayer chapel over in the Naz Great Room. We've been praying through the book of Psalms, just praying through the next psalm, but tomorrow we're going to take a, a brief break on that and pray specifically about, as it's election day, praying about the elections and not just about the elections, but beyond the elections and, and the impacts and the ramifications that will occur. So I want to invite you, maybe if you have never come, that you can come tomorrow at the Naz Great Room at 955. We'll be praying out of a passage of Scripture directly um, in response to uh, the elections. And then on Wednesday, I'll have the privilege of taking us through the next beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount, which is blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So I'm really excited for today, for this week. And uh, would you join me in prayer uh, as we pray for uh, this conversation this morning? Father in heaven, we are indeed so grateful that you, the creator of the universe, that you have made each of us in your image, that you have crafted us for a relationship with yourself and with one another. And Lord, we know that because of the effects of sin and the brokenness and the fallenness of this world, Father, that we are experiencing things like we are in this year, things of uh, whether it's a, a health pandemic, whether it's um, a, a cultural pandemic, whether it's political divisiveness and just the perilous times that we are in. I thank you that you've given us the gospel that truly is the remedy that is the only thing that can heal us and transform us at the heart level, and thereby as individuals change and as families change and as communities change, Father, we see our world change. And I pray that even today, 
as we have this conversation specifically around mental health and the elections, Father, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that you fill our minds with truth, that it would reshape and reform our perspective to see ourselves and to see the world around us and others, Lord, that are beside us through your eyes. And we thank you in advance for this time. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks so much, Justin, for the intro. And thanks, Joe and Alita, for joining me today. Um, really what sparked this is, obviously, Justin talked a lot about the things that are kind of sparking our mental health issues, some troubles that we have, and student government has been hearing a lot of that from you guys and things that you have said, especially about the elections that are kind of causing some anxiousness and, and difficulty in life. So as part of the Student Care and Wellness Committee on Student Government, um, we're doing our best to address mental health this year. So we thought it was a good chance to talk about how mental health is affected by specific things like, like the elections. So I guess our first question for you, counseling services, is just in this time with so much um, election anxiety, is there a way for us to just deal with those feelings and emotions? That's a, that's a really good question, Kendall, thank you. Um, not surprisingly, I think Justin's prayer has a lot uh, to t say to us in terms of how we frame. Um, we're all kind of in a, in a world where it's so easy for us to think our perspective is the only perspective. And in fact, we're really primed to see that. And, um, and I think social media works in that way. Our news cycle works in that way. And I think it's important to remember that there is a right and a wrong way to think. And one of the things that happens, I think, for us as Christians is uh, we need to kind of keep a heavenly perspective, which is really going to help when fear comes in. And the Bible, not surprisingly, also has a lot to say about fear and anxiety and um, not so much anxiety in the panic attack way, but like anxiety and more of those existential concerns. Um, and so a couple things, I think, just as a, a way of framing, you know, um, Romans 12.1 says that we will experience transformation through the renewing of our mind, which is there's a right way and a wrong way to think. Proverbs says that as we think in our heart, so are we, right? And so that kind of points towards a mental model. And in this political season, right, these, the mo mental models we have are really polarizing. And so it's important, I think, to remember that first and foremost, right, as Christians, uh, we are told how to live, right? We're to fear God, right? But we're to honor the emperor. That's what Peter says. And he's talking about Nero, who's persecuting the church, right? So regardless of who our president ends up being, our next president, right, we're supposed to honor him. Uh, we need to seek first the kingdom. We're kingdoms of heaven. Uh, we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven before we're actually American citizens uh, as Christians, right? We're not to be anxious for tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own, right? That's talking about that existential concern. We're supposed to pray for the welfare of our city. Uh, Jeremiah talks about that, right? so that so that as the welfare of the city goes or our government, so it goes with us. Again, regardless of who our president will end up being, we're to pray. Uh, for that person. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy to do that so that 
uh, we can live quiet and noble lives, uh, pursuing godliness, so that basically things go well with us. And so one of the things that I think those scriptures highlight, which kind of comes right to the heart of that question, what do we do with anxiety in, a, in, a, in this time and uncertainty? Who's it going to be? Is to know that God knows uh, and, to, and to basically know that there are things that we can do. There are things that are in our control. We, we, we can vote, but at the end of the day, we don't know how it's going to turn out. And so we trust God and faith fills in over fear um, and uh, and the, the thing that we can do is we can really try to manage our mindset and have this heavenly perspective. Uh, and that's kind of what those scriptures are pointing towards. What can you control? Well, you can control whether you pray. You can control how you encourage each other. You can control whether you talk or you stay silent. Uh, what are you going to do? So um, that's, a, that's a great question. I think I would just add to that that in general when we are dealing with anxiety, our natural response is to avoid it, to try to push it away, and that's what we're seeing. I mean, this is happening everywhere, not just here at Northwestern, not just with our, here on our campus, but in our world. Um, we have a lot of anxiety, and everyone can experience, feel that, but a lot of times we want to avoid it, we want to push it away, we want to kind of find things to distract us. And being able to stay open, sit in uncomfortable feelings is such an important piece to managing this anxiety, to even managing this anxiety with the Lord, you know, to sit with him in our worries and sit with him in our concerns. Um, and connected to that is to be present even in our bodies. How is it affecting us? Because that affects how our mind thinks about it. If we're feeling really um, scarcity mindset versus if we're really what we're, what we're experiencing in our body and paying attention to that, because that also invites us into space to pay attention to what we need and our self-care that we need to do in order to be able to stay in the tension. Um, and that right away goes back into having a sense of purpose, what we're doing this for. Um, because I think when we lose our sense of purpose and what God is bringing us here on this earth for, it's easy to get really scared by what's going on around us. And so kind of digging back in, getting grounded in our purpose is so important. Because then that leads us to that energy for action when we're feeling maybe overwhelmed by things. Yeah, I, I really love how you're talking about just controlling the things that you can control. Um, in the election season though, sometimes it feels like there are things that are out of our control. Um, in America right now, it does feel polarized and that, for me at least, causes anxiety and I wonder what you think of the connection there between this polarization and our own mental health. Uh, again, great question. Um, there is a, there is a, a connection. Uh, certainly, if you think about it this way, um, you know, social media tends to be things that we, we use, but ultimately we end up being kind of a product, and everything is algorithm-driven. Recently, I, I uh, was looking at a winter coat, and I sent my wife, like, an, an ad for a ski jacket, and pretty soon she's getting ads now in her email for, for ski jacket. Right, and so what that does is, you know, the things that you see tends to create, I think this, um, it, it helps to create an insulated kind of perspective. And I think cognitive flexibility is an answer that uh, helps us to manage kind of an insulated perspective where I only see things uh, from one way. And 
if, if we're getting curated content always sent to us, right, then what happens is we, we start to end up in a place where it's like, I don't, how do you not know this, right? And when we start having that kind of thought, you'll notice you start to other people. And one of the things I think that was right in what Alita was saying a moment ago is othering is a fear response. And in a way, it tries to help us uh, recalibrate so that, you know, hey, you know what, I can, if there's a clear bad guy, right, then the world can make sense, right? But when, but it's hard to be a truth teller, which is to say, hey, that's a good idea on that side. That's a bad idea. That's a good idea. That's a bad idea. And, and we're kind of called to hold these things in tension. And cognitive flexibility is how we do that. Um, I actually have a, 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 a slide that I, I brought uh, this morning, which talks a little bit about priming. Um, and so when we see priming, right, I want us to think about that as it's a universal experience. None of us are immune to it. I'm not uh, immune to it. I, I'm right there with, with you. And thinking influences our behavior. And so how do we manage that mindset? I, I think it's important for us to, like, look at this through this lens of, you know, what's happening what am I thinking about what's happening? What I'm feeling is tied into what I'm thinking about what's happening, right? And then what am I gonna do based upon how I feel, based upon what I'm thinking about what just happened? And then what's the result of that? To your point, there's so much I can't control, right? And I don't know, but I can always work to try to control my attitude, right? And so we wanna have a more flexible mindset. And just to give you like a, a, a quick way to think about this, I've got this little thing in my office. It's a, uh, next slide, please. Um, a student made this for me like eight years ago, just was fiddling with some paper. And if you look uh, to the left side of the page, you probably see a diamond shape. And often I'll ask a student, what do you see? And they'll say diamond or they'll say two triangles. And I'll flip it to the other side and I'll say, what do you see here? And they'll say a triangle or a pyramid. And then I say, can I throw this at you? And they're like, sure. So I toss them this thing. And I go, well, what is it? What do you think it is? Speak out loud, anybody. Here. What? Here. Thank you. Right. And here's the thing. It's, it's a post-it note. It's a post-it note. And it once was pink. Now it's peach because it was faded by the sun. Right? If you say it's a diamond, we're not wrong. It's just not robustly accurate. If I say it's a pyramid or uh, a triangle, not wrong, just not robustly accurate. If I try to figure out what the geometric shape is, again, not wrong, just not robustly accurate. It's a post-it note. And if I know all of these perspectives, then I have cognitive flexibility, and that can help me manage the fear. Because when, when anxiety comes in, when that uncertainty comes in, you want to make meaning we, we can't help it. We're meaning makers. We are the most efficient meaning makers there are. But that meaning making isn't always truthful. And that's where the anxiousness comes in. So uh, want to just recognize that and, and um, try to kind of have a broad perspective. Well, and connecting to that is our need to, sometimes in our need to manage our anxiety or our uncertainty, we can, um, we can jump to conclusions because we're trying to make sense of the world. Well, if something happened, 
I'm going to victim blame that person so that I can make sense to this situation that happened. And that the key that is lacking in that is empathy. And so leading, when we find ourselves in polarizing places, I think the important thing is how do we lead with empathy to our fellow humans um, and, how, and, and also within ourselves when we find our own self lacking in empathy. Um, empathy is a God-given thing that helps us connect with other people. And when we find ourselves lacking in empathy, I think we really know that, that fear is kind of working pretty strong. Um, and I think that's needed right now especially. So really, how do we lead with the heart? How do we use Christ's example of coming in and seeing beyond what the action is, but understanding the underneath piece to that is really important. Yeah, and it's not often that we get to hear about how, how our minds work and how these things go on underneath our consciousness, maybe, just how, how our thoughts come about. So I appreciate that. Um, I guess moving on, though, to something more practical, maybe. I think in, in these uncertain times, it's often helpful to have something to hold on to or something that we know, something practical to do about it. So is there a way that we can kind of navigate these times? Great question. Um, I think recognizing that we're not immune to kind of all this ambient noise behind us, you know, uh, the political noise, the pandemic noise, the pandemic of attention dysregulation is really what all this is contributing towards. Um, what can we do? I think taking breaks, you know, uh, from social media, taking breaks from technology, one of the things that that can do is you, you might recognize sometimes that your happiness starts to diminish when you surf a lot, right? A fascinating um, way to think about social media is everything that you're seeing is really curated, right? And so the political content you get is curated. You watch a debate and you're like, okay, well, I could watch... I could go to this person's website and just see those talking points. I could go to that person's website and see those talking points. What did you actually tell me that was substantive, right? And so you, you recognize that everybody is in this curated content world. And if we can kind of take breaks from that, you know, it is, in many ways, it's, it's, like a, it's like a recovery day after working out, right? And, and some of the research uh, that's been coming out lately, which is fantastic, I'm taking this from a psychologist in Portland uh, named Doreen Dodson-McGee. Um, if, you, if you take 10 minutes of boredom, right, which is something that we are not used to doing, right? It's like the minute you have a downtime, phone comes out, you're looking, oh, what happened on the news? Where are the polls? You know, don't stop checking them. Right? Just take a break. Try to be bored. Try to be mindful and present. It will actually help you be more present to your relationships right? and present in other ways. And really what's fascinating is on a, on a physiological level, 10 minutes a day of boredom over four months period, your gray matter will double and the white matter of your brain will thicken by a full third. And that's all about how your neural network, the neighborhoods of your brain works, white matter with myelinization and how everything flows well. Um, and so to your point about doing something practical, literally unplug. I think your generation, and, and us too, we're all, none of us are immune, but you're so bombarded with information, like that information can literally just become fatiguing. And I just want you to know it's okay to unplug. 
And we don't want to be the people who say screens are bad. Right. Not I, saying that. No, our phones are very, very useful and very helpful. It's just knowing what we need. I love the concept of the window of tolerance. Um, it comes from, I think, Dan Siegel. Um, and it's the idea that we have this certain window that we can manage our life really well in this window. Um, but life sometimes squishes it and makes it smaller. And all of a sudden, we can go above our window of tolerance and get really reactionary, really upset easily, irritable. Or we can get below it and kind of flatten out and disconnect. And learning to figure out how do we open up our window of tolerance so that we can be in relationship with people really effectively. Um, and really knowing when we're getting out of our window of tolerance um, is really a useful skill. That's why, like in the counseling services, we talk all the time about self-care and how do we replenish because it helps us be effective. It's that experience that you have of the conflict of someone and you, um, and you find yourself really upset about it and afterwards you're like, what was I thinking? Well, we weren't thinking because we got out of our window. And finding ways to expand that, really purposeful breaks, or replenishing experiences. It's just so easy to check something quick and then find myself, you know, 45 minutes later on, on a social media site and not even realizing I've spent that much time and not feeling really replenished. And so that experience of that, being aware of what we're doing, our decisions, our choices, is part of that. And um, paying attention to what we need is a huge part of um, a practical step, I think, about how do we care for this work that we're doing? If I could piggyback on that real quick. If you think about your brain like this, like my knuckles are like, are the front of your brain, the cortex, right? When you go outside your window of tolerance, boom, right? That's what anxiety looks like. Like that's what activation looks like. That's what a trigger looks like, right? Your, your prefrontal cortex, your executive function, where you think about thinking, offline, right? And so really paying attention to your body, that was something you mentioned earlier, Alita, that I think is so important uh, in being able to kind of regulate and, and stay within one's window and self. And even inviting yourself and others into um, allowing ourselves to engage in what we call awkward moments um, helps us to kind of realize that we can live through it and we can invite other people into that space of that authentic relationships. Um, that's hard to do, but sometimes we need to kind of live wildly out loud a little bit, and especially now in, this, in our world right now that is very disconnected, to find ways that we reach out to each other so that we can real, really feel connected, and sometimes that means um, just engaging, even if it means like I might take a risk by um, feeling embarrassed, that value of that is so good for our souls is another piece to that. So how do we regulate our bodies well and really reach out when we need, when we're feeling disconnected? And, and I think too, that, that silliness that you're talking about, I think of that like a childlike ego state, like being playful. How much play do you have in your life, right? That's so important just to recharge, but also to just be human. Right, and again, when, who are your people? You know, talk to your, talk to your people. Like, um, be silly with your people. Have adventures with your people. Like, all of this helps to resource you. Thank you, that, that's really great. Um, I guess, 
as you keep talking about reaching out of our comfort zones, I guess, to put it in layman's terms, um, where does that kind of connect to the polarization and this political climate that we're feeling? Is reaching across that polarized boundary, I guess, something that will help our mental health by getting us outside of those boundaries, or is that something more detrimental and difficult to navigate and maybe worth staying away from? I don't know if you can speak to this. I might be taking you out of context, but I thought it might be worth, worth listening to. That's good. Um, thinking about that, so if you think about polarization is a distortion. And sometimes advertisers do this to you. Politicians definitely do this to you, right? They try to appeal to you, to your emotional uh, self. And if we reason from our emotional self, that's not always the best place to be. Because what that does is it privileges kind of um, a lack of critical awareness, right? Which leads to that polarized place. And I think Alita just uh, had mentioned this earlier, which was so important. What we get, what's lost or sacrificed for us is empathy. William Urey, uh, a Harvard uh, professor who's done so much work uh, in regards to negotiation and helping, um, helping kind of bridge people with various disparate views and ideologies and ways of thinking the world. Uh, for example, he's worked a lot with uh, the Palestinian state and, and Israel and trying to kind of negotiate uh, how you can manage different perspectives in this way. Empathy is the key. Um, and so that means I need to see you, I need to see that person politically who's politically different than me, who has a different worldview than I. I need not, not see them as my enemy. I need to see them as, as my friend, right? And, and I think it was Abraham Lincoln that once said, it's like when my enemy becomes my friend, they cease to be my enemy, right? And so what's, what's a way that we can, we can find commonality and empathy is that, is that tool and compassion is that tool, which means we have to resist the impulse as easy as it is, not to, is to say, oh, that person is the devil, that person's the devil. We don't want to do that. Right? They're not. They just, start, they just think different. And empathy is our tool to get there. Well, and I love your question, how you worded it, Kendall. It's that question of, is that bad for us? Or is it good for us to do that, to engage well and to engage in purposeful ways? And we can easily have a mindset sometimes that discomfort is bad for me. But we really are wired to dig in and to do some, you know, to do hard things kind of concept. And so if we address that mindset in ourselves to say, I think life should be easy for me, and if we really challenge that and, and read what Scripture says about that, we realize we are made for those things, those struggles, and to walk with the Lord well. And when we do that, it changes how we interpret those experiences because there's so much research to about how we interpret the experience that actually affects if it's life-giving to us or if it's draining to us. So it's interesting how much we can't change our circumstances necessarily, but we can change how we think about it, and we can change how we react to it or enact or engage with it. And I think that's such an important part. How we are thinking about these difficult times really affects our response and how it even affects our body. So if I see it as something I get to do 
or I get to engage with versus something I dread. It really can change how we respond and, and really directly affects our mental health. And that's not to minimize at all people who have gone through hard things because there's such strength in going through hard things and, and making it through difficult experiences. But even the research in trauma says our work of getting, being connected to ourselves is what is how God works to heal us. And so there's something that's really rich and beautiful and why we connect with each other with that because our friends and our people are a resource in that and also how we invite ourselves into experience of discomfort in order to grow is a big part of that. I think that's a really good perspective, so I appreciate that. Um, maybe one last thing just to spring on you. I know you mentioned a few, a few verses at the beginning that kind of talked up more about the political side, but do you have any, any verses or just biblical concepts that pertain to what we've been talking about today? I think really kind of even with how Alita um, answered your question and, um, and how we begin and to answer this one, how you approach the world makes a huge difference. And I think, I think you know this just intuitively. The more you sit and you tell yourself, oh, this class stinks, I hate this, I'm never going to use it, like the harder and harder it is to do that work. But if you just accept the fact that this is what it is and you get after it, right, you just tend to get through it and build that resilience. And so I think we want to think the same way here. And I want to bring back to where we started. You know, Proverbs has this verse that says, you know, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? And so that really kind of tells us that we, it's important that we have a, a good mental model. And, and, and that's where we're really kind of camping out on that flexibility. And I think... Um, I know, Alita, you had a verse uh, that you had brought, I think, from Isaiah. What was that one? I, I'm trying to remember. I had two verses in oh, my head. Oh, so. go ahead. Yeah. Um, one I had actually thought of this for, yes, from yesterday, um, Isaiah 33, 5 and 6. Um, the Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge, the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure, which just that one was one that was encouraging to me when I think of instability. I, I focus on where I find stability. And then the other one that's been just kind of a verse of my heart, I think, of is uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, we have a God who sees us, who knows what's happening. It's all in his right hand. And those are verses that really kind of bring me back when that distress or my mindset starts to shift. Um, and, and I'm sure all of you have many other ones, that same idea of how God is in this and with us and over all things. And appreciated that, that word about stability. Because, again, with Matthew 6, right, he, the Lord is telling us, it's like, don't worry about your food. You know, every time a bird hops to the ground, which is what it means when it says falls, to get a seed or to get a worm, I know that. Look at all these flowers. They're going to turn into the fuel in the fire, right? But look how beautiful they are. Even Solomon didn't look this good, right, in all of the glory that he had in his kingdom. Like, you matter more to me than that, right? 
And so then the next thing is seek first the kingdom. What should I pursue? Let's pursue righteousness. Let's pursue holiness. Let's pursue God's will, right? And all these things will be added unto you, right? And it's just a reminder that God is telling you in that moment of anxiety, I've got this. I'm with you, right? Think of that. Emmanuel, God with us, he promises to be with you in, in it. Um, and so hopefully that's comforting. And on that note, I know we've come to the end of our time. <laughs> so do uh, you anything you want to say or was I'll pray us out? Yeah, thanks so much. Maybe just briefly, guys, um, counseling services is still alive and kicking even during the pandemic. Um, I really encourage you to reach out to them if you need someone to talk to or have specific issues to work through. Um, it's easier than ever to reach out to them. Just on the first panel on the top left of the rock, you'll see a link for counseling services resources. So I've really enjoyed getting to know Joe and Alita a little bit recently. They're so easy to talk to. So if you have the chance, I definitely recommend um, talking to them. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, thanks for that. And we're here for you. So, uh, Gracious Father, we, we are grateful that regardless of the outcome tomorrow or whenever we know, we know that you are for us and we know that your kingdom advances. We know that your plans and will is never thwarted and we trust that and we trust you. So please be with our brothers and sisters here. Be with us as we go about this day uh, that we would be mindful uh, of our bodies, that we'd be mindful that you are with us, God with us. Uh, and you are our ever-present help in time of trouble and the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And what great comfort that is to me. And I pray that that would be a comfort to all of us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.